0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the second series of Yet Unexplained. In tonight's episode, we will be looking at two strange stories from the West Country of the United Kingdom. One is ghostly, and the other borders on a more Lovecraftian-slash-MR-James feeling, with similarities to last season's episode on 50 Berkeley Square. As always, if you like what you hear, please consider liking, subscribing, or even writing a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. The West Country has long been established for its rich tales of folklore and tradition. Before we delve into the next tale, it is probably best to establish the location so we can better get a feel for the environment to which this story unfolds. This story can be distinctly split into two sections, both of which centre around the Somerset area of Charterhouse. Charterhouse, or to use its other title, Charterhouse on Mendip, is a hamlet in the Mendip hills in the English country of Somerset. The name Charterhouse is said to have originated from the Carthusian order of Chartreuse in France, which was established in Wittem, in 1181 and formed a cell at Charterhouse in 1283. But the history of the area goes back a lot further than that. It appears that there is evidence in the area of human occupation from the late Neolithic and early Bronze Age periods. The early Carthusian order had obtained a grant to mine the area of lead ore when they first settled, but large-scale mining operations of lead and silver were introduced by the Romans in CE 49. Within the Blackmore Nature Reserve, which is owned by Somerset County Council, is the evidence that suggests that the mines were still active during the medieval and Victorian periods, albeit on a smaller scale. The land was granted to Robert May after the dissolution of the monasteries and it was then he constructed a house. One of May's descendants, John May, became High Sheriff of Somerset in 1602. This ancient site is the home of many caves in the limestone around the village, including Manor Farm Swallet and Upper Flood Swallet. Charterhouse is also home to a AONB, an area of natural beauty centre. Here many schools, youths and business groups stay, as the centre is ideally situated to Cheddar Gorge, the cathedral city of Wells, Wookiee Hole and Blackmore Nature Reserve, and serves as a base for walking, climbing and general holidaying. It is this visitor's centre that plays a big part in our story tonight. Richard Gardiner's tale. It was a freezing cold, raining February weekend in 1982 that the first of these mysteries occurs. Richard Gardiner, who was a teacher at the Bridgewaters Highgrove School, took a school party consisting of 15 female pupils on a visit to Charterhouse. The group was staying at the visitor centre and one of their first outdoor pursuits was to engage in a hiking expedition that was to take them across the Mendip hills. The 15 pupils were divided into three groups of five students and they set off in turn from the visitor centre. Richard Gardner was not one of the escorting teachers as his job was to take the school minibus ahead of the party to a halfway point on the route in order to check on the welfare of the children in his care. It appears that a member of the third group of students called Maria was missing along the route. Gardiner helped the other four students into the minibus as they drove in the rain to try and locate Maria. Gardiner decided that it would be best to head to the visitor's centre first, as this would be the most natural place for her to head to if she was lost, but this was to no avail. Gardiner decided to park up the minibus and search the surrounding area for the student, as there was a picnic area and a dangerous open mine site and shafts that were located at Velvet Bottom. Gardiner continued to search the area in the lashing rain, and at one point, stopped the minibus and gave three blasts of the vehicle's horn. This way, Maria could hopefully hear the direction of the sound and head towards it. He got out of the vehicle and called out her name into the driving rain. Although no reply came forth, he was disconcerted to hear what sounded like children's laughter coming from the direction of the nearby locked scout hut. Gardiner told the other pupils to stay in the minibus as he left to investigate. As he approached the structure, he continued to listen intently to the sounds around him and he could clearly hear the sound of boys and girls playing in the near torrential range. With each step, the sounds appeared to get louder and more prominent. Gardiner had established that the sounds appeared to come from the back of the building, and he cautiously made his way to the rear of the property. No sooner had he turned the corner of the property, did the voices cease, and Gardiner was once again greeted with silence, with only the rain and mud for company. This was utterly confusing for Gardiner, as the nearest village was a full five miles away and this terrible weather would prevent any child from venturing out unless they really had to. As Gardiner was looking around bewildered, he decided to head back to the minibus. It was then that his senses were assailed by the high-pitched screeching sound of a child's laughter. This made him very uneasy, as this sound seemed to come from behind him, an area he had just checked. Gardiner looked around him and decided that a small clump of trees that were situated a mere 50 meters away could possibly be where the child's laughter was emanating. With cautious and deliberate, purposeful steps, he made his way to the small thicket of trees and shrubs. With each step, he could feel the overwhelming sense of foreboding fill his body. Almost as if he was being warned not to go further, either by an outside influence or by his own instincts. In a flash, he once again heard the sound of laughing, and again it was coming from behind the scout hut, which was now situated behind him. Convinced that someone was playing a game with him, Gardiner ran back towards the scout hut and leapt around the corner of the building to catch the miscreants. But there was once again no one there. This was the last straw for Gardiner and he decided enough was enough. After all, there was a missing girl to find. As he made his way back towards the minibus, he could hear the sounds of children laughing, joking and jeering from behind the line of trees he had just investigated. And as he got closer to the vehicle, the sound seemed to fill the entire picnic area. Gardiner thought he would have one last look and abruptly turned his head to look towards the area. As he did so, the sound stopped dead. With a mixture of annoyance and fear, Richard Gardner got back inside the minibus where he was greeted by the fearful faces of the four pupils that huddled inside trying to keep warm. When asked, they said that they too had heard the laughing and shouting coming from the picnic area. Gardner headed back towards the rendezvous point where he found the escorting teacher for the group and the missing girl, Maria, taking shelter away from the rain. It appeared that Maria had merely become lost, and so retraced her steps back from where she had come from. All the hiking parties and their accompanying teachers made their way back towards the visitors centre, and the rest of the day's proceedings went ahead without any problems. Later that night, the group were visited by the warden of the Charterhouse area and the visitor's centre. The warden was a local man by the name of Terry Birch, and he was a genuinely nice, kindly man that the pupils seemed to like and included him in their conversations. The group of students began to discuss the proceedings of the day, and their talk eventually moved into the territories of ghost stories. The students would eventually go to bed in the dormitory, which left some of the teachers free to unwind. Gardiner decided to bring up the subject of what happened to him earlier that day to Birch and asked him if there were any young children living in the nearby residences. A grave look shadowed over Terry's face. Terry had a story of his own that still disturbed him. Terry Birch's Tale. Birch explained to Gardner that he had been a warden for many years after his career as a former Marine Commando. One of his many duties in the warden role was to go to the visitor's centre before the holidaying season and make sure that it was safe and fit for habitation. As a rule, Birch would stay at the centre until the first of the visitors would arrive, making sure that all checks and odd jobs were taken care of. This and the logistics of travelling to and from the location meant that he was used to staying in the building on his own for a few weeks at a time. The visitors centre was also used by the local cave rescue team to store their equipment. About a year before, in 1981, following a long arduous afternoon of checking equipment and scrubbing waterproof clothing, Birch had finished watching a bit of television and had a spot of dinner before deciding to make his way upstairs to the sick bay area of the visitors centre to get some much needed sleep in the bunk bed that was inside the room. Birch's routine called for him to check that all the ground floor doors and windows were locked before venturing up to the sick bay. Birch stated that he preferred the sickbay area to the cold and draughty dormitory rooms. At around 1am, Terry was awakened by the sound of movements that were coming from outside the building. The rustling made Birch conclude that it was a badger. Sometime later, he was awoken again to the strange sounds, only this time, they were different. Instead of the familiar sound of wildlife rustling in the undergrowth, it was the clatter of claws on the wooden floorboards from within the visitor's center. Birch was of the mind that if the creature had wandered in, it would find its way out again he was too tired to spend the night chasing a frightened badger out of the building bert looked to check that the door to the sick bay was locked and that the creature could not get into the room and then tried to get back to sleep but the noises continued the sound seemed to be getting slowly louder as he heard the animal coming up the stairs with a faint thudding sound. Birch deduced that the beast was climbing slowly and deliberately up the center staircase before it came snuffling and scratching at the sickbay door. Birch, whilst recollecting this tale to Gardner, could not explain why he remained in bed. He reasoned that it was probably because he thought creature would get bored and eventually shuffle away. This did not happen. After a brief interval, Birch could hear the wooden door to the sick bay creak as the creature was trying to force its weight against it. Luckily, the lock held, and the door did not fly open, regardless of the force being exerted upon it. Then There came the silence. For a time there was no sound at all coming from the door or the hallway. Then everything would change. For the next few minutes Birch was frozen in terror as he heard what he could only describe as a sound similar to a stiff brush if it were being dragged along a polished surface. Birch feared that the creature was sliding under the door of the sick bay, squeezing its way through the space between the door and the floorboards. The gap was only half an inch wide. So whatever this creature was, it was managing to push itself through that small gap. Eventually the sound would stop, and Birch was trapped. There was no way he was considering making a bolt for the door. The dragging noise gradually stopped and then uncomfortable silence filled the room. Birch slowly and deliberately looked towards the location of the sound and caught sight of an indistinguishable black shape just barely visible in the darkness of the room. The snuffling, scraping noises came closer, then... bed suddenly began rocking violently. Birch stated that he felt teeth and claws at his feet. Birch screamed and shouted at the black nameless shape that had started to attack him, and he rained blow after blow on the creature's body. Eventually the shape receded. ...and the same scraping, bristling sounds were heard as before. After the sounds of the creature descending back into the external darkness had ceased... Birch got out of bed and inspected the room. His overnight bag had been turned upside down. Its contents of clothes had been taken out and strewn across the floor. There were also scratches and scuff marks along the frame of the bed that had not been there before. During the struggle, Birch found he had pulled an electrical wire free and some plaster had fallen away and was now littering the bed. Birch then walked through the ground floor of the visitor's centre but found nothing out of the ordinary. With all the doors and windows still locked and bolted, It's clear to say that the two stories only have the location as a similarity. If we first take Gardiner's tale, we could be dealing with the spirits of local children who perhaps worked in the mines that poxmark the area. Or he could simply be the unwilling participant in a local practical joke. For some reason, I find the latter less believable than the former. In the case of the strange intruder in Birch's story, we are left with a feeling that this beast is either something mundane that could not be identified, or something unearthly, or something very earthly and ancient. I find that the creature bears a similarity with the described apparition of Berkeley Square, with its Lovecraftian horror akin to a spirit in an M.R. James story. If we are to take the tales at face value, and without further evidence that is all we can do, then they paint the whole area of Charterhouse as a picture of high strangeness, not unlike the stories of the Skinwalker Ranch. Other, more ancient stories of the area, like it being the alleged final resting place of the mythical Norman creation that is King Arthur, ...who is said to lie in an underground chamber, watched over by the Welsh mythical figure of Merlin. Perhaps this area was chosen to play host for these tales because of its strange connection to another mystical realm. We will never know, but rest assured many more stories will be told about the mystical West Country of England. Links to our Facebook page and email address are in our bio, so feel free to get in touch, tell us how we are doing, or even suggest future episodes that we can cover. Next week we will be delving into the first of our two-part look at the San Pedro haunting. Thanks for listening.
1: My name is Richard Daniels, 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 Daniels. and I am the archivist for the Occultaria of Albion. The Occultaria of Albion is a publication dedicated to exploring some of the strangest and most bizarre locations across the country, where hauntings, curses, cryptids and more have all been reported. I am now custodian of its archive and am gradually exploring many of the lost files in order to re-release them. You can find the case files which are now available at occultariaofalbion.com The Occultaria of Albion can also be found on YouTube and as a podcast. Go deeper and join the fan club for exclusive content. Go to patreon.com forward slash occultaria. Remain vigilant and remember The Wolves of weird. All loose.